Welcome to the future of email. I'm Dr. Matthew Dunn, founder and CEO of Campaign Genius. We help email platforms grow by giving their customers the power of real-time visual media in their email marketing. We believe that email is the critical civil media channel today for business and commerce. This podcast features the leading innovators in email marketing. Stick around to the end. I'll reveal how you can be our next guest on the Cutting Edge podcast on the future of email. Let's go. Good morning. This is Dr. Matthew Dunn, host of the Future of Email Marketing. And my guest today is Tim Kachuriak, CEO of Next After. Tim, so nice to connect and talk. Thank you for coming aboard. Dr. Dunn, happy to be here, man. Yeah. Tell us a bit about Next After for starters. Yeah. So Next After is really three things. So we are a fundraising research lab. We're a consultancy and we're a training institute that helps nonprofit organizations get better at digital fundraising. At so digital fundraising. We, we believe digital is the future of fundraising, but you'd be surprised it's still an underdeveloped opportunity in the space. Now, did you ever do radio? You've got a great like radio voice going there. I've done a few podcasts before. So. Okay. <laughs> okay, there. And I remember I, I noted the lead line on your LinkedIn profile. I'm obsessed with discovering what inspires people to give. Uh, talk about that a bit. It's, I mean, you think about it, like that is a kind of question that can captivate somebody's imagination and energy for the rest of their, their lives. And I yeah. need that or else yeah. I'm going to go find something else to do. Something else to do. So what, what are some I've been on this you, quest. What are yeah. some of the things you, you know, that you think you know about that right now? <laughs> oh, gosh, I feel like we're just scratching the surface. Um, you know, the, the big thing that I think we've, we've done that may be different is that we've approached digital and basically the entire internet as if it's the greatest behavioral laboratory that's ever existed because it is right. It is. Yeah. Instead of yeah, asking people's well opinion, yeah. like we can actually go run these different experiments and like see how they behave in real life in the, in the wild. So we found that there's not one answer to the question. Why do people give? There's a number of different reasons. It's a, a collective of reasons, if you will. Right. And those reasons vary from generation to generation, mm -hmm. by organization to organization, by donor to donor, right? So it's really, really hard to kind of pin down like one specific reason why people give. But I'll give you a few examples, right? Yeah. So especially older generations like boomers, GIs, they give out of a sense of duty, responsibility. It's the right thing to do. It's what they taught. They're you know, upbringing, you know, going to church and stuff and putting money in the collection plate. Like that is mm -hmm. kind of like their framework for, you know, this is my response ability to kind of give back. Yeah. Other people, they give out of a sense of like wanting to be part of something, this desire to belong, right? This desire to kind of like join a movement or yeah. be part of some sort of transformational change. Yeah. Um, some people, especially people that give to, to political campaigns, they give out of, you know, anger, frustration, yeah. Yeah. right? Yeah. There's a problem in the world. And like, I don't like what these guys are doing. I like what these guys are doing. So I'm going to go give my money to them so that they can go change things either back to the way that it should be or to the way that I think it should be in the future. Right. So there, yeah. there's these different kind of motivation sets, Interesting. but, but underneath all of it, there's things that we found to be effective, regardless of what the ingoing motivation of the donor is. Right. So things that you probably talk about all the time in the for-profit space are kind of like, you know, new, like lightning bolts that are hitting us in the nonprofit space, like the power of a value proposition. Right. So through testing and experimentation. So like the simple way that we think about value proposition is that um, the donor 
and who's our customer, right? So mm-hmm. the nonprofit space, yeah. our, our, the yeah. donor is yeah. our customer. They're constantly weighing the perceived value of yeah. giving a donation versus yep. the perceived cost. Yep. If they perceive more value than cost, they give more cost than value. They bail. They bail. Yeah. Um, but it's not just at the like you know the 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 macro decision to give or not to give, but it's at every single one of the little micro decision junctions that they encounter along the way. Okay. So I'll relate it to, you know, your, your topic du jour, right? So like email, right? So I send an email, right? Now the goal of this email is to get you to go online to my website and make a donation. Mm-hmm. The first micro decision that somebody has to make is, do I want to open that email? Right? Yeah. Yeah. And if they make a decision to open, they have to make a decision to read and to keep reading and then maybe to click. And if they click, they get to a landing page and there's a series of decisions that they navigate content, copy, images, video, whatever's on the page. If the content's compelling, if it's inspiring, if it moves them in some way, mm-hmm. they click the donate button. And there's still yet a series of these micro decisions, even as the donor goes through completing the transaction. So we know by looking at all this nonprofit industry benchmark data that less than 25% of the people that click the donate button on a nonprofit's website, actually complete the transaction. Okay. That's pretty high percentage anyway. Yeah. Yeah. But the reason why is because there's still a series of decisions they have to make even at that final stage of completing the transaction. Yeah. Right. Do I want to make a one-time gift or recurring gift? How much I want to give? That's the one interesting thing about nonprofits is we don't have a fixed price. Yeah, that's true. Our our price is determined by the customer. The donors decide how much they're going to give. And what we find the biggest thing that influences both whether they give and how much they're going to give is how effectively and forcefully we communicate their value pro- proposition. Now, so, I want to reel back to something you said at the beginning. Actually, finish that sentence and let's reel back a little bit. No, that's good. We can go. Let's go reel it but, in. Yeah, you, you were talking. I wanted to parse it a little bit. You were talking about um, the goal. Of, the goal of the email you said near the beginning. You get them to click and go to the website. Um, let me counter argue, and I think you'll agree with me. That that that's somewhere in the goal for the potential series of emails, mm-hmm. but that perception, relationship, brand awareness, cause awareness, all of those things are also objectives for those messages. You don't necessarily expect people to hit the donate button or click to the website on message number one, right? In some cases, yes, in we do expect cases, them. Yes. Yeah, I mean, like you know, the the nonprofit fundraising space, it we're still kind of like very much locked into a direct response kind of mindset. Yeah. yeah. Because we don't have the luxury of like being consumer brand with like billions of dollars to spend in creating brand awareness. Mm -hmm. So I've got to go from like you meeting me from the first time Mm -hmm. to us like getting married. I mean it's like that that is like you know that that's that's kind of like the challenge. So um and and if you think about how most nonprofit organizations have traditionally done broad-based fundraising, it's been through direct mail, right? Yeah, I'm going to yeah. go rent a list. I'm going to yeah. go send a hundred thousand, a million pieces of mail. And I'm yeah. hoping for like maybe a 1% response rate. Yeah. Yeah. Which is 99% failure rate, but yet yeah, that's success. Thank you. Us, yes. You know? <laughs> it's like, whoa. <laughs> so what I'm obsessed about is like, okay, great. So um, you can get your 1%, but like, what do I do to make the other 99% like say yes as well? And that's where right. like the testing and optimization yeah. and experimentation have become really, 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 really important. Yeah. And and your digital the digital domain, which you said you focus on when we were chatting before we started here, has a level a level of measurability that analog never had. Never had that. Right. I know it's getting 
harder to measure. We're actually kind of going backwards in time, which is a whole separate conversation. It's a whole separate conversation, uh, right? Yeah. Uh. But um, but yeah, but yet still today we still can you know track certain kinds of behaviors yeah. Yeah. that you and it, and it adds a whole layer and whole dimension of 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 targeting capability and you know uh relevance that you can yeah. create in every sort of message based on these behaviors that people are yeah. illustrating through their behavior online. Yeah, yeah, no ab- absolutely. I mean, one of the one of the things that struck me a few years back, I think it was talking to a a bunch of kids at a business school class at the university here or something like that. And I said, like you don't realize that I think they were marketing and business students. I said, you, you don't realize that you actually signed up for the sciences. Right. Because 10 years, 20 years ago, business class, business was not nearly as much a science as it is now. That's right. That's it, right. It just wasn't measurable in anywhere near the granularity, immediacy, like almost ridiculous uh, flood of data and statistics that the digital domain is opened up. Like, oh, we didn't plan that, but wow, right? That's right. No, that's yeah. right. I mean, like art kind of generates hypotheses and mm. like science validates them, right? So like that's well the kind of like well the- Yeah. Oh, you just froze. I'm going to give Zoom a second. Yep. Art validates, uh, art proposes, uh, science validates, and then Zoom stuttered for a second, so we'll yeah. keep going. Now, that's, yeah, that's that's well formulated. Do you end up in, in conversations, let's say, with some of, your, uh, some of your nonprofit clients, particularly early in the cycle, are any of them, do they require a lot of education to get more comfortable with the level of measurability in the digital domain? Yes, 100%. So a lot of them have like basic kind of like tracking capabilities in place. Like they're using Google Analytics, but they're using it wrong. I used mm-hmm. to, I, I usually like refer to like, you know, the average person, like only uses 10% of their brain. You know what I mean? So it's like, you know, that's what you're using 10% of your Google Analytics. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's um, good. <laughs> so, so that's usually one of the first problems we have to fix for them, right? Because you cannot optimize that which you cannot measure, right? Yeah. So it's usually like kind of like tying the wires together and like, yeah. you know, connecting the, connecting the dots so that they can actually be able to get, you know, clear visibility as to what's really happening in their, in their program. So that's, that's usually step one. And then step two, there's usually like tremendous um, leakage in their funnel, right? So like, there's so many people that are passing through their organization, but because they haven't like taken the time to optimize the various different digital assets, um, you know, they're, they're just losing a lot of people. So there's a lot of low hanging fruit and mm-hmm. we show people this mm-hmm. and they get really, really, really excited. And that's when they start to divert some of their direct mail budget over to digital. And we're able to kind of help get them some, some wins and move towards more of a digital first type of strategy. So that direct, direct mail versus digital is I, I I've, I've lived in the digital domain way too long. <laughs> like that's still, that's still viable tension. Yes. So up until this past year, 2020, which has been kind of like a, you know, yeah, a, 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 a huge sea change. Yeah. Um, digital fundraising has never crossed uh, 10% of total giving. Wow. Wow. Interesting. In 2020, it yeah. was 13% That's of total job. giving. Big right. Wow. So it's never crossed 10 and it, it was at, it sailed past 10 to 13%. Wow. And uh, last year, so BlackBot, which is like the big donor CRM uh, company in the space, they do this okay. charitable giving study, and it's based on $40 billion that flow through their CRM system. Um, last year, in 2020, um, total fundraising revenue went up by 2%. Okay. Um, digital went up. 
everything else was basically down, but digital was what really kind of carried the day, uh, you know, in 2020. And it was because a lot of their traditional tools were taken off the table. I'm not having fundraising events. I'm not flying around the country meeting with all my donors. I've got Zoom and I've got email. Yeah. And so now all of a sudden digital is kind of like right in the forefront of what a lot of nonprofits are thinking about today. Right, right. So so even in the non nonprofit and fundraising domain, we all just got booted six to ten years into the future based on the on, you know the <laughs> I like to say phase. we got a, a violent shove into digital transformation, right? So <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And and I imagine there are adaptations that are not just they're not just technical in 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 making that shift or in 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 changing that weighting of of channels cuz uh you know you can't just take your your paper campaign and hit print PDF and hit send. You would be surprised by how many even very large organizations do exactly that Matthew, I mean, it's it's really really shocking, um, and and so that this is this is kind of like the big point we try to make is like because the barriers to entry to any sort of digital stuff is very low. Like any old yeah. fool can yeah. Yeah. you know yeah. hit the send button, right? Yeah. Any old fool yeah. can go post anything online or make yeah. a blog post. The time and the level of attention spent on those channels yeah. is very very low, right? right. Right. And and because it's cheap, right? And so we say, look, if you really want to be effective, you need to treat this thing with tremendous respect. Good for you. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so it's 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 a journey for sure. <laughs> yeah. And and the, the level of uh, the level of nuance and measurement uh, that really pays off, I'm guessing most of them are, haven't been ready to do, didn't realize that it was worth doing. No, they've been blasting people yeah, forever, yeah, right? Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? And I just, I, it's, that's one of the first things that we try to teach people. <laughs> like the, if you really want to optimize your digital fundraising, yeah. you have to humanize it, right? Yeah, You've got yeah. to humanize it because people give to people, not to email machines, not to websites, not to direct mail campaigns for that matter. People right. give to people. And the more that you understand that, the more you can, you, you begin to see the ways to adapt that to make it more human. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I had a I had a chat with uh, with a gent at a nonprofit called Smile Direct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Great. Surgery. Great organization. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 it was interesting. Like they're very methodical about what they do. And he talked about how they, um, I think he used the word curate, it, how how they keep track of the stories, particularly of their successes. Yes. And and can continue to make those the focal content. In, That's in right. their fundraising because it you know it moves people, it touches people, it moves people. Well, stories is our currency. Um, yes. And actually, yes. a lot of ways, stories is our product, right? So like I like to say, like, you yeah. know, um, our, our product is the impact that we deliver to the marketplace and like our customer is the donor, right? Mm -hmm. And so like, that's really the things that we have to work on is how do we innovate on the product delivery side? Like, how do we get better at, you know, solving the problem of a cure for cancer or fixing, you know, people that have like deformities because of, you know, yeah. maybe poor drinking water, whatever the, yeah. the, the yeah. cause yeah. may be. Yeah. Um, and so then that's what ultimately is going to drive the effectiveness of, you know, the customer purchase, right. Which is a donation. Yeah. I like that product story. And I wish, uh, I, I hope a lot of email marketers listen to that because even in the for-profit domain, it's it's it it frequently gets just completely dropped, left on the floor. Yeah, um, we had a we had a we spent some time working through a proof of concept with a prospective customer for Campaign Genius, my company. Um, they wanted to take 
real-time content and do a lot more personalization um, of their email. Mm-hmm. But you know, I won't name names. who are lovely folks to work with, but they they didn't change the box of what they did in their email at all. It's like this mm. tiny, modest, we'll put their name here and that's going to change everything. Like, wow. And I wasn't honestly surprised when it didn't move the dial very much. It's like you're, you're so, you're, you're so you centric already in what you send out, I'm, I'm, you know, sticking my name on it. Doesn't mean it's still not mostly about you. I actually said, guys, measure the pixels, like measure the number of pixels that are different. Cause I <laughs> yeah. did. And you're like, you're, you're hoping a 3% change is going to make a hundred percent difference. It's not going to, sorry. No. If you yeah. test small, then the results are small, right? Yeah, so like yeah. we, we usually advocate for like starting with like a radical redesign. Like let's nice. go blow up our presuppositions, right? Nice. Let's go, like if you have a highly designed email, which is what most nonprofit fundraising emails look like, we advocate for stripping all that away. Get rid yeah. of the images, get rid yeah. of the graphics, get yeah. rid of the buttons, and even rewrite the copy so it sounds like it's coming from one from human person, to another human. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, We've run that test uh-huh. with dozens of organizations. We've done it in different countries. We've done it in different languages. Yeah. Two, three, four, 500% increase in, <laughs> in donor response by just making that one simple little design change. Which is not that simple a design change, right? Because it really is a blow everything up. Um and I would imagine, but it's easier. It's just it's just a text based appeal versus you know having to go get a designer and create your video and all that other crazy stuff. Like yeah. we're just like, look, just just write it like you're writing to a friend. Yeah, 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 yeah. The voice, the voice, and the and and the power of language probably to tell the story, which as you said, exactly is the product. Um, and <laughs> and getting people to stop and read takes some craft. Yeah. yeah. I mean, copywriting, um, copywriters earn their keep. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> yes, they do. It's uh, it, 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 as we see more and more uh, uh, AI and machine generated language. I was just reading an article this morning about, you know, yet another platform that's like plug in the keywords and we'll write the article. It's like, no, you won't. <laughs> you won't write something I'll read. Or that anybody right. will read, right? You'll 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 spew out English, and eventually the waterline will keep going like this, and it'll get harder and harder to to get me to actually track through that. Exactly, but like it's it's also kind of like there's some interesting you know research being done like in the area of neuroscience, right? And they talk about like the impact of story. So like first of all, as it relates to nonprofit fundraising, there's a chemical released in somebody's brain. Mm-hmm. when they give a donation, right? It's oxytocin. oxytocin this is the, yeah. the, exactly. Yeah. It's the compassionate yeah. kind of neurotransmitter. Yeah. It's the, the bonding Cuddling. neurotransmitter, right? Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's this really special stuff. Um, so I'm like, man, that's great. How do we start dosing our donors with, with oxytocin? I came up with a whole bunch of like illegal ways to do it, but there's actually a very legal way to do it because like oxytocin release can be triggered by effective sure. storytelling, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, yeah. it's just fascinating kind of stuff. So, and I'm sure it's true on the, on the commercial side as well, right? Like, you know, effective storytelling, like people, they don't buy products for the benefits and all that stuff. They, they buy it because it's, it's part of their identity. It's because they like, they, 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 they see themselves, you know, a certain way in the world. And they want to demonstrate that by, you know, having this thing or making this purchase or going on this trip or whatever that thing may be. Mm, right. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think that storytelling could be really interesting thing um, to to add into. Like, you know, I think there's a lot of things. Let's put it this way: I think there's a lot of things that commercial marketers can learn from the nonprofit space, and I know that we have a ton to learn from the commercial space. So this could be a good, cool partnership. Well, the co- commercial space, and I mean, I, I 
in some senses, I get to sit on sit on the side of it because uh, as a as a technology vendor to those marketers, I see what they do, but but the tech you know the technology itself isn't inherently for one or the you know for one or the other. Um, they're guilty of they they being commercial email marketers frequently guilty of uh, of still doing a lot of blasting as you said mm-hmm. early on. Mm-hmm. Um, frequently guilty of being on such a hamster wheel of production that that uh, stop blow it up rethink like and 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 humanize yourself is so it's almost too much work. Um, <laughs> they tend to have, and I'm guessing I'm guessing your larger nonprofits clients have this as well. Uh, the brand police play way too big a role. You know, it's got to look like this and have that fun. And by the time yeah. they get one HTML template crafted that delivers that, they're scared to death. To it's touch a mutation. It. I know, right? right. <laughs> you know? Well, that and that's that's where we we suggest to our clients to use testing mm-hmm. as both a sword and a shield. Hmm. Like what I mean by that. So like it's a shield in the essence of like you know, the boss wants to go change everything, right? He's yeah. going to go bet the farm on, we're going to go in this direction. We're like, you know, let's go test that test first, that. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then you go test it and you bring back the data and say, hey, you know, this kind of like actually reduced our conversion rate by 75%. You still want to do that? No, yeah. no, 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 right? So like, that's the shield. <laughs> and then the sword is like all of these entrenched, you know, sacred cows. You can yes. go slay them and, and just destroy them with this sword of testing and say, look, yeah. the old way, of doing things is gone. And this yeah. is the new way. And we're going to test it first because, you know, we want to validate the concept, but it's pretty hard for people today in today's world to argue with data. It really is. It, it, it is, but here's where I see, um, here's where I see an overlap between the, the nonprofit and the for-profit email marketer. Both of them don't tend to allocate the resources required to actually be able to test. That's Fair? why they hire companies like us, Matthew. That's why they hire companies <laughs> like you. No, I mean it, it 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 really is kind of baffling. You look at you look at the the digital uh you know digital monopolies that have, have been effective at growing. Google is immediately the one that jumps to mind. And 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 there's a willingness to invest in that you know that invisible humble looking R and D called yeah we need to have enough people to send two versions right. so that we can A-B test. That's we right. need to have enough time to come up with two subject lines that we think are killer or two layouts that we think are great so that we can then get the data back to say which one is better. And I and I see a lot of, oh, crap, we barely got this one out the door and we're on to the next one. I'm like, when do you actually have time to test? Like The stuff tested in email is relatively modest to my mind. Yes. I, I mean, much. that's right. People resort to kind of things like subject line testing or maybe yeah. sender or time of day, things yeah. that are like kind of easy to control. Yeah. But yeah. if you really want to move the needle, it, yeah. you got to, you got to get at the meat of yes. like the message, yeah. the value proposition, the story, you know, like adding different emotional cues and priming and framing and all these like different kind of you know, behavioral economics kind of concepts, yeah. right? Yeah. And, yeah. and it, you're right. It does. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes, it takes time and effort. Yeah. And it yeah. would, and it, and it clearly would pay itself back. It's the most, that's the most effective of the digital marketing channels, but because it's cheap, which you said early on, mm-hmm. I, I, I think there's a tendency to, you know, to, well, it's, you know, it's cheap, it's free. And I already know how to send an email. So you guys get this much to work with, you know, Good luck. Right. Bring us the numbers back. Oh, exactly. Ouch, right. Yeah. And on the on the longer haul, 
um, that relationship, that long-term relationship side of email marketing, because the inbox is a fairly intimate channel, to be fair. Yep. Um, the less, you know, the less you, you invest in that, I suspect the uh, greater the decline, the churn out of the list and so on. Big time. I'll give you an example of, of that exact thing. So uh, we had this organization, very large nonprofit organization. If I mentioned the name, you'd probably know them. They approached us. They said, hey, uh, we're in trouble. Uh, we need some help. So um, our email engagement and response rates have fallen off a cliff and we have no idea why. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we took a six month snapshot of data and we looked at their email send volume and other, uh, other than like the, the time around like year end fundraising season, which is like the big, big, heavy time for a lot of nonprofits. Yeah. They were sending a, a consistent volume of email. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then we overlaid two uh, additional pieces of data. One was the percentage of people that uh, delete the email message before even opening it. Mm-hmm. The other one is the percentage of people that open and read the message. And what we noticed is the red line, the number of people that delete right before even opening was consistently above the green line, which is the percentage of people that open and read. And those, those, those two lines were getting further and further apart as we kind of stretch out that six month time window. And then we overlaid another piece of data, which was the average inboxing rate of their messages. Okay. At the yeah. start of the six-month window, they were receiving on average across all the different um, ESPs, like I think it was like 78% average weighted inboxing. Okay. Yeah. yeah. By the end of that six-month window, 38%. <sighs> and so we said, you need, we said, you guys are sending too many emails. You need to 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 slow it down. They were sending two fundraising emails per week. Oh a week, wow. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And they said, uh, thanks, but uh, no thanks. We can't do that. We have these aggressive revenue targets we have to hit. We have all this pressure and we can't afford to not keep sending these emails because every time we send an email, we get revenue, right? Regardless of how, how it's declining. And we said, okay. Um, wow. How about you send more? And they said, okay, now you're talking, right? Like we said, okay, we want you to send one additional email every single week, but this email cannot ask for money. The only thing this email can do is provide value back to the donor. Now that may be in the form of like giving them a special piece of content or report on what's happening or ask them a question or send them a certain, you know, it's, it's basically engagement kind of content, cultivation content. Yeah. Yeah. So we ran the experiment for six months. They did, they put that, that in place and, um, their email response rates went up by 80%. Wow. Uh, across all their segments, the donors, non-donors and lapsed donors, Their average engagement in email went up over a hundred percent. So meaning people that are opening and clicking. And again, this is not by sending any more appeals. This is just by adding a bit of cultivation content. So the, 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 the problem of email list hygiene is a huge, huge, huge problem in our space because we are constantly blasting because we don't have any, we don't think we have time to do any sort of brand kind of content or value add content, but that's the big difference maker. If for a lot of these organizations is adding that into the mix. And, and, and so not always just saying, click to our website and donate. That's right. Right. But, but like, keep, keep that, you know, the cliche, cliche phrase, but keep the, keep the relationship component to it. Wow. Was it a, was it a lot of, you know, knocking heads and brainstorming to figure out how to meet there. We need to keep going and, and try and rectify the drop at the same time. And it seems like a great solution. 
Yeah, it was. And uh, I mean, the cool thing is this organization, to their credit, they they were open to testing, right? They yeah. were open okay. to, to running the experiment. And it, it was a longitudinal experiment. I mean, it, it took yeah. place over six months. So it yeah. was a pretty big commitment. Yeah. But I think their backs were against the wall and like they <laughs> they didn't see any other solution, right? So yeah, uh, it was really you're cool gonna, to not going to meet the fundraising goal if the, not, if the lines keep diverging. Exactly. As you yeah. said, and, and if the, uh, you know, the inbox percentage keeps keeps dropping like that and that would have been that would have been a tough experiment to run in paper mail for yeah sure. that's right because you would never take, would have known. yeah it would take years yeah. yeah 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 exactly um wow cool there's there's a book i've noticed that i find myself citing it like <laughs> every three or four conversations with people on this podcast there's a book called the social life of information you ever run across it Mm-mm, no oh you, you 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 would i think you'd really like this uh John Seely Brown and Paul Duguid. I'll send you. I'll send you a link when we're done. Um, okay, great. John Seely Brown was head of Xerox Park for a good number of years. Okay, like so, birth of the computer kind of place. But the book was written before Facebook existed, hmm. and they were trying to understand how we how we learn from each other and how organizations, uh, you know, make knowledge move across the organization. Hmm. And the surprise to that, which won't surprise you at all. Is it's not the paper manuals and the knowledge management systems and the documentation. It's people hanging out and telling stories to each other. Yeah. One of the ways that we try to uh, actually foster that at Next After is that uh, we provide lunch to all of our staff, right? So we have oh, like nice. a, um, a huge waste of Class A office space, this huge lunchroom where everybody sits <laughs> down and we bring yeah. in food every day. Yeah. And like that's the time where like ideas are happening back and forth. Like I just, I just got off, uh, we had lunch and, uh, one of our guys who is like one of our, um, search engine guys or whatever, yeah. he was doing this, he was researching the G G what is it? GTP three thing or whatever. This yes. like AI yeah, yeah, thing, AI like, you know, does all that stuff. And he's like, show me all that. But like, I never would have like heard about that unless he would have came and, you know, had that conversation at lunchtime today. So it's like, I think that there's value in creating moments for no people no to questions. be able to have those have those conversations. And 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 that's one thing that has gotten a bunch of pressure in our, you know, massive kick forward to to you know to 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 digital remote work from home. How are you grappling with that in terms of your organization? That's a tough uh, it's Well, tough being in Texas, I know that you know, like we're in the news a lot for like kind of like yeah, let's go, you know. But uh, we were back at the office pretty early, honestly. Um, And we came back in stages like, you know, leadership team first. And then it was open to people if they wanted to come back. And um, and, uh, yeah, but pretty much everybody's back in the office now. And, uh, you know, I think everybody's vaccinated. So I think we're, 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 we're in the safer zone or as safe as you can be. I mean, whatever, but like, yeah. um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a big challenge of working in today's world is just the, the, the physical separation yeah. there's, there's, there's value in proximity, honestly. Yeah. yeah they're, they're, absolutely. There, it may have been the same, uh, social life information book, but I remember reading about a company that no, it's a study. I, and I think it might've been social life information. Um, Louis J. Sullivan invented, basically invented, perfected the skyscraper in Chicago back in the mm. teens and 20s and inadvertently destroyed collaboration to a great extent because oh, wow. when you've got buildings under under five, six stories where people go up and down on a stairwell, mm-hmm. you have stairwell conversations. Mm. And when you've got an elevator, nobody has conversations in the elevator. And, That's right. And one company that I read about was like deliberately – 
capped their building height in their office buildings and made sure they built around stairwells for the same <laughs> reason you allocate that lunchroom <laughs> space. That's fascinating. Interesting. Right? Because, you you know, you bump into the guy and, oh, hey, Fred, and, you know, blah, 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 R&D. What are you guys working on? Oh, wow, that's fascinating. Gee, maybe we could use it, right? You don't right. have those in elevators and you don't have them in Zoom, which is a real problem. Right? Nope. You're in, you're out. That's it. You're right. in, you're out. Yeah, it's in, it's intentional. There's an agenda. Very transactional. Got, yeah, yeah, very. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you've got yeah. all these screens and distractors and peripheral information and actually having the conversation and focusing on the conversation. Uh, yeah, and not, I don't have pants easy. on right now, Matthew. So I mean, it's like... <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> and that certainly informs the conversation as well. That's, that's awesome. Well, kudos to you for getting you know, for, for, for building a company in a culture where people are back in the office, because not all companies are having an easy time with that. Yeah. 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 I think, I think it, it was because, you know, we, I mean, we're a smallish company, I mean, 40 ish employees and stuff. So like, I think, you know, there's this camaraderie that mm-hmm. has, has been established through the lunchroom program. Honestly, I think that that's been like the, the biggest thing that's really helped aid our culture because, we don't have a lot of the cattiness that you see in a lot of other like office yeah. settings. Yeah. Um, and you know, you sit down next to somebody different every day, you know? So it's just kind of like, I get to know, I get to know all my staff and they know me. And, and it's like, it's just a, it's a really, it's a, it's a cool kind of vibe. Nice love, nice, uh, nice leveler. And really for the benefit, not that big an investment. In the grand scheme of things, yeah, you consider the amount of money that like companies waste on consultants and like all these crazy programs designed to kind of foster engagement that everybody yeah. rolls their eyes at, and like oh great yeah. team building ninety nine again, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so it's it's kind of a cool it's a and, cool way to do that. And at a human you know at a human you know story donor level, you know, break, break bread together is a like that's a pretty fundamental thing. Like we're wired to do that, and it matters that's a right. great deal. Yeah, sure man, did I miss it during the pandemic? Still, like we're not fully, fully yeah. out of it in terms of our own behavior. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm really kind of bored with me. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably good for uh, for podcast bookings, though, right? So I'm sure that uh, you got a lot of podcast conversations recorded during the pandemic. You know, interesting because I, you know, we we'd st- we didn't start the planning for this uh, future of email until like circa. Oh, September or so. And then we didn't really get it up on its feet and start having guests come on board until January. Um, and someone asked the other day, well, like, oh, oh is, is this really paid? They were asking the business question, oh, has this really paid off? You know, what's the ROI? And I'm like, you know, I don't really know. And I'm not sure I actually really care right. at this point because what's, what, what's, what's, be, what it's become is a terrific conversation opportunity to have lunch, so to speak. Right. Yeah. That's it's like, right. Yeah. You know, would we have would we have met and been able to, you know, talk for for this length of time? Not if it involved airplanes and why you can, like all that other mission. Yeah, has. we could have bumped into each other at a conference or something like, oh, yeah, call me sometime. You know what I mean? Like that, yeah. that, that might have happened. But yeah, you know, this is this is this does create a new opportunity for those conversations. You're right. It, it does. And that that's its that's its own. That's its own best reward. Like the rest of it, like, you know, what'll happen, what'll happen will happen. But Man, there's a whole list of people like, wow, I had the best conversation with I get to do another well, one tomorrow. Yay. You cool. know, Gary V talks about like the the reason why he does all these podcasts. And yeah. he's like, you know, because it forces me to think. You know what I mean? Like, first of all, I get to refine my story, I get to refine my message. Mm-hmm. But sometimes 
people ask a question I haven't thought about before. And it takes me in these different directions. And all of a sudden, like the synapses start firing and I'm like, I've got this new breakthrough. Right. So I think it's like, there, there's value in that, like just, you know, continuing to meet people and networking. I mean, that, that's like not a new concept, but this has created a new venue for networking and conversation. And, and, a, and a venue without the, without the false intentionality of live net, that live networking frequently has. Right. Like, like conferences where someone's sort of cruising, looking for the badge so they can, so they can strike up a relationship, just tick me off. Like, yeah. No, you're not. You're like, you want to talk to me because you think X, Y, and Z. You're like, we're not actually talking. Right. We're talking past each other. And that's kind of a massive bore by comparison. Yeah, no, that's true. That's great. That's right. Yeah. Superior in that aspect. Right. It is. But I think it's, I think, and I'm just formulating this as we talk, it it may be more useful in those cross-company, cross-organizational settings like the two of us talking than for two colleagues within a company to have this as their sole co- means of connection. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it sounds yeah. like, it sounds like you're, you're already there in terms of how your own team works together, you know, back together, having lunch together and stuff like that. Was there a sense of, of, of a bit of relief and, and yay, we're back as people started coming back into the office? Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, I, again, just, just because of like the nature of our culture, I think we all missed each other. You know, we tried to do the virtual lunch thing, which was like a disaster, you know, <laughs> yeah, um, virtual beer. No. Yeah. So, so just like, it just stopped happening. And yeah. I think everybody like felt that, that void of yeah, this yeah. thing that was missing from their day. And, you know, when you work from home, you lose all sense of reality of time and, you know, space and everything. And sometimes you just sit down in the chair and you're cranking all day long. And next thing you know, it's like dinner time, right? And you haven't even got up yep. other than to go to the bathroom or something. Um, and like, that was what, that's honestly the reason why I started doing lunch. Like when I started my own business, I used to work at other agencies and it was like, there'd never be time for lunch. If anything, I'd run down to the third floor coffee shop, grab a crummy sandwich and like eat it at my desk on yet another conference call. Yeah. So I'm like, when I start my own business, like I'll know that I've arrived when I can have lunch every day. And then I started adding staff and we just kept going out to lunch every day. Right. And then as it got too big, we started bringing lunch in and it just like, it's good for people physically, mm-hmm. right. To take that break, to, to feed, yeah. to have, yeah, to, to have sustenance. Right. So that then, and it breaks up the day so well, I mean, like, you know, the morning, then you focus and crush it and you like everybody blocks that noon, you know, time uh, to make sure that they're available. And then mm-hmm. you get the rest of the day and you feel energized and charged and ready to rock. Yeah, and and I would guess you, you go a long way towards snapping the perpetual screen connection with that lunch as well, because that's that's just insidious. And and you know, back to the Zoom thing for a second. Aside from one on one, it's it's a bit difficult to get people to stop multitasking, for sure. Yeah, my uh, my my wife uh, is a paraeducator, works with uh, with kids on the autism spectrum in schools. And when the pandemic first hit, school system here did a wonderful job, you know, adapting, you know, we're just going to be at home. We're going to keep having meetings. And she would, she would have two hours of Zoom meetings. Mm. She said, I'm just, I am beat. Yeah. That's, that's got to be brutal. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I said, well, I said, well, I said, hun, you're doing it on a notebook screen, which means you're looking at 24 postage stamp size people. That's exhausting. For your brain, just that is, ugh. well, yeah, I, I remember reading something about like how, you know, like 
most communication is like 10% information and like, you know, the rest is like some sort of nonverbal, whether it's like our intonation and stuff and like, or it's like body language. And so if you're trying to kind of like your brain is wired to kind of like what it is do that. Yeah. And if you're yeah. looking at 24 of them, it yeah. like it's overload. Like it yeah. just fries, it fries your ability to process. Yeah. Overload. And it's also, I mean, this is, this has been an area of study of mine for quite, quite a long time. One, our brain is wired to do that. We actually have parts of our brain that specifically focus on eyes. Like we're wired to do that. It's not even conscious. Um, two, and this one intrigues me. There's some gender to it. Guys sitting side by side, having a conversation left to their own devices will tend to end up at a right angle. Hmm. So this face-to-face thing is is a bit unusual for us. We wouldn't necessarily talk uh, at, at this 180 degree angle if we were sitting at a bar or having lunch or something like that. Women are, I think, a little more, they tend to be a little more face-to-face in one-to-one conversations that's, that's and, fascinating yeah isn't it isn't it, it's kind of yeah. it's kind of interesting it makes a little bit of like quasi-evolutionary sense you know because you can watch the horizon for for saber-toothed tigers or something yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting okay yeah well see see if that see if that validates in you know what you see in uh, in personal behavior but for sure this full focus lights are on cameras are on did a thing like it's a big shift Mm-hmm. You know, we're making it, but it's still uh, a big shift. Well, so what's next for next after? Great question. Had to have been a good um, year. What's that? It had to have been a good year. Oh my gosh. Life. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, we're growing like crazy. I mean, like that's the hardest thing right now is, is just kind of staffing up our team to meet the demand for what we have to offer to the marketplace right now. So wow, that's, that's a, that's a big challenge, but beyond that um, there's two things that I'm kind of really uh, excited about. Number one is we formed a partnership with the Institute for Sustainable Philanthropy in the UK. Um, they are home to the world's first two uh, PhDs in philanthropic psychology. And so nice. they're developing a lot of like the academic research about like, around why people give and all mm-hmm. this kind of stuff. And like mm-hmm. their main thesis is that there's different ways of approaching fundraising, one which actually does harm to the donor. So it's actually not good for their, their long-term well-being. Mm-hmm. And there's other ways that may not yield as many results or you know revenue today, but actually builds up the well-being of the donor and leads to better lifetime partnerships, right? So churn nice. or or attrition is a big problem in our yes. space. And yes. so like, I think a lot of their science kind of is going to fix that. So we appointed um, a, 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 the next after fellow uh, at that institute that's actually taking a lot of their research and adapting it into things that we can test online with our with our clients. And so that's a really exciting thing of like testing all these different theories and stuff and like bringing them home uh, to be able to validate them. So you may be able to, you know, help in the, the data and science into their research, sounds like. Oh, for sure. That's why it's a great partnership. Yeah. That's why they're, they're excited to have us, uh, you know, kind of come alongside. Oh, and that's, that's actually, that's wonderful to hear because nobody benefits from this being done poorly. That's right. That's right. <laughs> like at all. That's right. No. And the and the and the you know the lifetime long t- long term thing versus churn, like, I I've got I've got time I've got <laughs> time at four different higher ed institutions. Way too much time in uh, in in school, and it's a surprise which of them are good at the alumni fundraising outreach and which oh, yeah. of them are not as good. Right at That's the right. fundraising outreach and which of them I've kind of bozo filtered because they were so bad at it. 
<laughs> I like that. <laughs> which are still in. It's like the smaller guys are sometimes better at it because they've, they've, they've kept it much more story, person-to-person relationship-based. And it's not just, oh, hi, this is so-and-so, and I'm an undergraduate in your old department, and we want your money. Right. Ah. <laughs> what else is new? Right. Yeah, exactly. what, yeah what else is new? <laughs> well, Tim, it has been a delight to connect and talk with you. Thanks so much for making the time. Dr. Dunn, anytime you want to talk email fundraising, I am your guy. So have me back. I'd we'll, love to. we'll we'll do that. We'll we'll wrap it up. I'll hit the end of record. If you're listening, my guest has been Tim Kachuriak, CEO and founder at Next After. So if if you have a nonprofit that you think needs help with their digital fundraising, send them to nextafter.com. Thanks, Tim. Awesome. Thank you. Hi, Dr. Matthew Dunn here. Thank you so much for listening to The Future of Email. If you're an email industry exec or marketer and you're interested in being a guest, please apply at campaigngenius.io slash futureofemail. If this interview was useful for you, please consider sharing it. Grab a screenshot and post it and text it and, of course, email it to your friends. If you know someone who you think would be a good guest, tag them in your post and include the hashtag future of email. I really appreciate seeing guest suggestions. It helps us a ton to keep the show interesting. We do put out new episodes and new content fairly regularly. To keep up, I would suggest subscribing. Your sharing, your rating, your reviews are the key to promoting to the show and they mean a ton to me and to the team here. If you want to know more, go to our website, campaigngenius.io slash future of email or Follow me on LinkedIn. Search for Dr. Matthew Dunn. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.